Attitude is our greatest power. People have a lot to share. We've got to find ways of harvesting it. If kids want to learn, they will learn. Welcome to Elder Wisdom, stories from the Green Bench. I'm Erin Davis, delighted to be here with my co-host Lloyd Hetherington, who is an 86-year-old resident of Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences. Lloyd comes to us from a lifetime as a teacher, a missionary, a leader, a husband, a widower, a father, and proud grandfather. And together, we bring you Stories from the Green Bench, this virtual place that really does exist for our elders and those who care for and about them to share experiences, wisdom, and today, information you'll be so glad you heard. Do you ever read a book and go, wow, where were you when I needed this? Well, good news, because today we're discussing one that you might just find helps you immeasurably in the future. And we are so happy to be offering it to you in gratitude for your listening to this podcast for free. We'll tell you how shortly. Joining us on the Green Bench today is Deborah Bakhti, author of Now What? Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care for Families. Well, Lloyd, I know you're excited to be talking with Deborah today, as am I, but uh, you've read this book, and it's really resonated with you. So what was the main thing that really kind of grabbed you about Deborah Bakhti's book? It was so down-to-earth, so practical. Well, I wish I'd found it years ago when I was counseling in the Salvation Army and when I was talking to some of my peers about uh, the arrangements of... uh, having to put uh, a spouse in a long-term care facility. I just love it. It's well-written, very definite points, so easy to have picked out and mastered. I think Deborah has done a fantastic job in preparing a document that every person considering the long-term care facility should read. I congratulate you on it, Deborah. It's an excellent book. Thank you, Lloyd. I'm so happy to hear that. Who did you write the book for, Deborah, when you sat down to pen Now What? Well, that's a great question, Erin. My, my initial thinking was that I wanted to create a resource for people that are family members of loved ones that they've needed to make the decision to bring them to live into long-term care, uh, because I was a family member on three different occasions. And As I was writing it, and I work uh, exclusively in the seniors care market, I consult and train and and provide support to seniors care organizations, I realized that there's also a second audience, and that's the people who work in seniors care who really want to have strong, healthy, positive relationships with their family members who are their clients. So you speak of your personal experience in three ways that you mentioned there, but you also worked in senior care for 11 years in operations and human resources. So you come at this book and your expertise and wisdom and experience from many different angles, don't you, Deborah? Yes, and and that's what really became apparent to me when uh, going through this personal journey while working in seniors care, it just felt so ironic, And also, I felt very grateful that I was working 
in an organization and with a community that could help me to navigate when I was going through it personally. Um, you know, I was a resident's wife for four years when my husband, Ty, was needing to be moved into long-term care. And he was a younger resident than what you would typically see in long-term care. And there was about a, a few months crossover when I had my dad living in a long-term care home at one end of the city and my husband in another home mm. in the other end of the city at the same time. Wow. Now, Lloyd can speak of his experience of moving into uh, residence. And it was about, I guess, Lloyd, about as positive as it could be for you. But it wasn't for a friend of yours. Can you share that story? I'd be glad to do that. My, my wife and I always took the long range view. And it was always, what if? What if uh, one of us was to pass on? What if it, we, we were to move? And so when it came ultimately time for me to move into long-term care, I, I was ready in every sense of the word. I was ready to move into an environment that I had explored on a number of occasions. I was ready to, in my mind to accept the fact that uh, a bit of my independence would be curtailed, but I'd still have a tremendous amount of freedom. For me, the move was almost painless. On the other hand, my daughter's father-in-law promised his wife that he'd look after her forever. And then the time eventually came when the Alzheimer's was so bad that he just couldn't cope with it at all. And he was so guilt-ridden, putting her in a long-term care center when he had promised to look after her forever. Fortunately, books like yours help to explain that putting someone in long-term care is actually caring for that person in a way that individually you couldn't do at home. Now, I have another friend going through the same crises, and I asked him to read the, read your book, and he was very helpful in his observations. He thought that your advice given was really meaningful and right on, and in some ways he wished he had read the book some time ago rather than spending the years of anguish should before finally having his wife ad admitted. But by and large, the challenge is, is very significant for the family. No matter how much you know about it, even yourself, Deborah, you, involved in the long-term care, involved with your uh, family there, it still boiled down to individual decisions, individual actions. And I love the way you mapped out the steps in the... Uh, dealing with the long-term care family. Perhaps you could let, let our listeners know about the seven A's of the long-term care family. One of the sections in the book I discovered when I was going through as a family member that it, it really is an emotional journey, like any type of change or transition that we go through. And so I created this framework called the seven A's, and it goes through the stages of being aware to then being able to acknowledge this change in your life as a family member and then moving into that ability to adapt to this new life that you have whether it be the lifestyle with the visiting uh, being able to connect uh, with your loved one but also start creating activities and relationships outside of the long-term care community and then moving into that place of acceptance. And I write in the book how 
we don't have to love or even like something in order to accept it. But it's a key step in being able to journey through the emotional experience. And then there's the stage around allowing and then moving into that sense of accountability. What are you accountable for as a new family member in this community that you're sharing with other family members where other residents live and where people work? And then the last phase is around appreciation. And I I share a, a kind of a humorous story about how I was able to get to that point of, even though I didn't really like the fact that my husband was living in long-term care and was dealing with this awful disease, but to be able to appreciate the lighter moments, the funnier moments, uh, the moments that mattered that I wanted to be able to, at a certain point in time, look back on with uh, happy, positive memories versus focusing on what sometimes people perceive as the negativity of the situation. Our guest is Deborah Bakhti, author of Now What? Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care for Families. And we are happy to say that we have some complimentary copies of your book, Deborah, to share with listeners today of Elder Wisdom Stories from the Green Bench. Just go to schlegelvillages.com and contact your director of lifestyle options to get a copy of the book. There are limited numbers. And it sounds like just from what Lloyd has said and your discussion of this book, it's going to be a hot commodity because it's not about navigating the healthcare system. It seems, Deborah, as if it's information and insight on how to better manage the emotional journey. And you talk about the emotions that are involved. Tell us about the role of grief when it comes to making this decision for a family member or for a loved one, as Lloyd did. Talk about the grief that's involved and how you navigated it and your suggestions for others who are doing that now. Well, it's interesting, Erin, because I don't even know that it was grief that I was feeling. Uh, I was feeling the anxiety, frustration, sadness, anger, all of those emotions. And it was with the help of a wonderful therapist and other people who've gone through something similar that helped me to understand that we can have a grieving experience without actually physically losing somebody. Absolutely. We tend to associate that grief with a death. And what I was experiencing, I would say to people, it feels like death by a thousand cuts. Mm. And I think anyone who has a loved one that is dealing with a uh, acquired brain injury or dementia, Alzheimer's, this feeling of the person is slowly disappearing from you is uh, an incredibly tough situation to be in. And so that's why I also included a chapter in my book uh, that's called Dancing with the Grief that I had a colleague of mine, Edie Nathan, who's a therapist, uh, help with writing that chapter. Because I think part of the emotional journey for families, and maybe it's part of that awareness and acceptance, is being able to say, yeah, this is, I am grieving. And that's okay. Because once you're able to identify and label it as such, then you're better equipped to be able to reach out for the tools and the supports and the resources that can help with it because it's also it can impact the quality of life for the resident if they're seeing that their loved one is really struggling with this journey Mm. and allowing yourself to grieve giving yourself permission and having that vulnerability and strength the you know the two sides of the same coin 
to reach out and get help and support for your emotional struggle that you may be going through at that time, Deborah. Yes, and I think that a lot of caregivers can relate to this. You are so busy keeping everything in motion. And likely before somebody ends up moving into long-term care, if it was anything like my journey, the family is constantly doctor's appointments, um, medical procedures. There's one thing after another, and the caregiver is white-knuckling, holding on for dear life, trying to keep all the plates spinning and maybe working full-time and having other responsibilities in their life. And I think what can happen is once you make that move, the person is moving into long-term care. Part of the struggle that a caregiver can have is actually giving up control of being that primary caregiver. So it's this really interesting dance with you feel relief and then you feel guilty about feeling relieved that you've got other people. And it's so critical in those first few interactions that trust and that respect and that agreeing that you're going to be partners in care for the benefit of the resident is a bit of a tricky dance that happens. And that's where I really hope that this book helps families to, first of all, understand, yes, you are likely on an emotional journey. I pull back the curtain a bit with what long-term care is like, some of the things that are occurring even before that morning that they bring their loved one in for the admission meeting. I can almost hear Lloyd nodding here. <laughs> I am, I am, I am. Oh. Because this is a journey that you went through with your dear Margaret, isn't it? Well, not not, not really. Uh, the the loss was very sudden as far as my wife was concerned. Uh, she She had a stroke and within a week of the stroke, she had passed away. So, in in a sense, I felt a real loss, a loss of a partner, but a loss of a whole purpose, because for the three or four years before she passed away, I I was a primary caregiver. My world centered around her, and not not much else. So all of a sudden, the burden of care is gone, but all of a sudden there's a vacancy there, and you say, and now what? And, mm. and to fill to fill that void is a real challenge. So you have to re- reset your goals, reset your aims. And I have been blessed in this facility to have a manager who's extremely sensitive. And almost from the day I arrived, he sounded out my interests, pointed me in the right direction, and I have not looked back since. But... Uh, I had to refocus and reset my relationships. You love the acronym PORCH in Deborah's book here, too. I'd love to hear you both discuss this. I think it's brilliant what Deborah has done there. The most important thing is the pause. Take time. We're so busy, busy, busy caring. And all of a sudden, we need to pause. And we need to stop and ask, what are we doing? And why are we doing it? And is that the most helpful way of handling things? And then the next step that Deborah suggested was to observe. Take a look around. See what's happening in your own life first. What are your reactions? How do you care? How are you responding to the situation? And then observe the caregivers that are looking after your loved one. They, They are playing a very important role. And we need to see what they're doing and appreciate what they are accomplishing. And then, Deborah, your idea of reflecting, we need to stop and think. Our emotions get so tied up sometimes, 
we can get pretty irrational sometimes in thinking of outcomes and possibilities and so on. And then your suggestion to make the choices, to choose, and make those choices based on your thinking, your observations, and your reflection. And then the most important thing, make it happen. Don't sit there with a lot of wishful thinking what ifs. Find the ways and the means to bring about the, I'm going to say, happy conclusion, better, a successful conclusion to your thoughts. So, Deborah, your guidelines there are just fantastic and they resonate with me. And I've shared them with my friend who is wrestling with the admission process of his wife just now. Thank you for that. And you did such a great job in summarizing those steps. And at the end of that chapter, uh, I've shared the quote that's being attributed to Viktor Frankl that really inspired me to create the porch framework. And if I may, to share the quote, it's between stimulus and response, there is a space. Mm -hmm. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And that quote, the first time I heard it, it's sometimes an easier said than done. <laughs> and so we're needing something very practical. And I, I know myself, being a family member, when I've come in, and maybe I've had an already stressful day, and I see something or I'm upset about something that my husband says did or didn't happen. And that ability to just react and sometimes it's disproportionate to the situation we're human beings and ideally how do we support ourselves in an already stressful environment which long-term care can be there are no slow days in long-term care to be able to remind ourselves both from the family perspective as well as the care teams sometimes we just got to step back and take a breath mm-hmm. And be able to gather ourselves and the agency that we have over how we choose to either react or respond in a situation. Deborah, walk us through how you would go about giving this to a loved one that you think should be going into long-term care. What is the discussion that we as the children of parents for whom the time has come? Like with my sisters, I have three sisters, my dad in his 80s, recently widowed, and we just thought, Dad, you know what? You shouldn't be going down to the basement with your saxophone in one hand, not holding the railing anymore. And now he loves where he is. How do you go about having that discussion with a parent? Oh my gosh, that's the $60,000 question, isn't it? There's no basic, clear-cut answer to that. Part of it is really, first of all, let me start by saying the family member needs to be able to recognize the timing of that. And the reason I say that when we moved my mom into independent living, it was for all the reasons uh, that made sense to her. When we had to decide to talk to her about moving to assisted living, that was a completely different conversation. Mm. And I don't know that they're ever easy. You know, I don't know that most people would say, boy, when I grow old and can't take care of myself, this is where I want you to put me. And as was said earlier, people, they feel like they've been made to promise, I'll never put you in an old folks home, as they used to call it. Uh And my dad made my mom promise that. So I, I think it has to be done with some grace 
and some generosity of spirit to say, like, we all need to be thinking about this together as a family, what's going to work best. I mean, when when my husband and I had the conversation, and he was in his early 60s at this time, it was our case manager who sat us down together. And that conversation could have gone a thousand different ways. I found having someone who cared about us that saw the the need and the stress that we were enduring trying to maintain home care, having that neutral voice was really helpful. And how important it is to have all of the family members on the same page when it comes to helping our loved one to make that decision. That can't be stressed enough. And stress is the key word in there, right? Yes, and I think you can have a family that has all sorts of different family dynamics, and I refer to the dynamics and dysfunctions <laughs> in the book when I talk about family flavors. So you could have a couple of siblings who are all on board and another one or two who don't. And what happens is when the decision is made, if the family isn't all aligned, they can bring that friction and dysfunction into the home, which makes it really challenging for the care team members, depending on who's the POA, the power of attorney. Um, And it just makes it extremely unpleasant. And so I think that to the best of your ability to get the families all aligned and understanding that this may be seen as a suboptimal solution. It's not usually number one on the list. Most people want to age gracefully and healthily in their home. When that's not possible, it's really important that the families understand and have the ability to manage the conflict of emotion that they're feeling about this. I don't think many families feel great about, okay, now we're at this point in our life that we have to make this decision Mm -hmm. because it's a big change for them as well. You've expressed it so well. There's no one size fits all. The family dynamic is so important. I love the fact that you had someone sit with you to help guide you in your thinking process. And I would that every, every family with senior members would take the time to dialogue to look at the possible options that lie ahead. Too often we just deny, 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 and then the crisis comes and it happens and we're not prepared for it in our minds or hearts at all. So conversation, dialogue, thinking about the possibilities is so important. Mm -hmm. I think part of the gift of writing a book, and this is what we discovered in the two years since Morning Has Broken, our book on grief and reclaiming joy. Part of that gift is the feedback that you get from people that makes you think, okay, you've made a difference, but also, oh, this is something else that I could say. You've now written two books, Deborah. Uh, What kind of feedback have you gotten from this book, from Now What? Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care for Families? And what fuels you for, may I assume, your next book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been wonderful. I've I've had almost 8,000 copies sold already, uh, with over 4,000 of them pre-sold before they came out. And that really told me that this book is one that people need and they want. And the work that I do with Seniors Care and organizations purchasing the book so that they can give this book to new family members, as well as existing family members, because they see the value in the more educated and informed 
uh, and the more insight that families have, it's going to help to close that knowledge gap that currently can exist that then perpetuates into an emotion gap between the, the two parties that are coming together. Well, I can only see, Deborah, that people like the personal care worker in RPN that we spoke to, Mary and Trish, recently would be so grateful to you for also looking at the side of those who are working with the loved ones to please show compassion to them. It's like you've discussed letting go of control and trusting that these people know what they're doing because they are in it every single day. Yeah, you know, the the compassion and passion that people Mm -hmm. have working in long-term care. I say in the book, they don't do it for the money. Mm. A lot of people feel called to this work. Mm -hmm. And it saddens me sometimes when uh, friends call me up and they're asking questions and they have this perception that I think is unfortunately really negative and the media has not helped over the last year. The number of staff that have needed to live in hotels away from their families. Mm. And they are risking their health and well-being. And they care about their residents. And I understand that there's, in any situation, there's unfortunate situations. But what I want families to know, and which I, I wish that I had a better appreciation for, and remember, I worked in the business, and I should have known better. But when I became a family member, that was the lens I was looking through. And to be able to appreciate the work that they do is not for the faint of heart. And when they lose a resident through passing away, they have their own grieving process. I mean, it never even occurred to me, even though I knew this, the day that time moved in, likely another resident had passed away 72 hours previously, mm-hmm. which is what made his bed available. Right. And to that point that you make, Deborah, can you talk a bit about admission anxiety? I was fully aware that as family members, We feel that admission anxiety on that day, the night before, knowing that this is a huge life change for the family and the resident. Then I discovered that staff also feel their form of admission anxiety. They're not as worried about what the resident is going to be like. They do understand through the file submission what to basically expect. What they don't know is what is the family going to be like? Are they going to be pleasant to deal with? Are they going to be coming in already feeling upset and angry about this move. And so the morning of an admission, staff can feel really anxious about wondering what that's going to be like and how that relationship is going to unfold. And I was going through my own experience of how I felt that it was more transactional than relational on that day. And so that my first book was really written for people who work in seniors care to help transform families into fans. And the six strategies to do that. And a lot of it was storytelling from the family perspective. As I was doing more consulting in homes with frontline staff and heard their stories and saw the tears in their eyes when they felt like families were upset with them or didn't really appreciate or understand how hard they were working to make the best quality of life experience for their loved one. It it just was, I need to share this other perspective and bring both sides together Uh, Because when you've got happy families, then you've got happier level staff and happier level residents in, you know, this is a very unique environment that's open 24-7, 365, and it's where people work, it's where people live, and it's where people visit. Would you like the last word, Lloyd? I would love it. I I take my hat off to the staff in the long-term care residents. 
I can speak from personal experience for the ways they go about caring for me, meeting my needs, showing an in interest. I recognize that they too are people. They come with their backaches and their troubles at home, but they subordinate those to look after my personal care. And I committed to do everything I can to make their life pleasant. And I would that every other visitor and, and member here would do the same thing to show a caring, loving attitude to those who do their work for the love of it and not, not for the financial gain. What a beautiful postscript. Thank you, Lloyd, so much. And this quote from William B. Given just sums it up so perfectly. When possible, make the decisions now, even if action is in the future. A reviewed decision usually is better than one reached at the last moment. So thank you, Deborah, for sharing that. And we're so pleased to be making this book available to our listeners here today. We're so grateful to you on so many levels. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was great. To get your copy of Deborah Bakhti's book, Now What? Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care for Families, just contact your Director of Lifestyle Options at schlegelvillages.com. Copies are limited, so please do it now. I hope you'll join Lloyd and me again. Just subscribe for additional episodes every two weeks, and you'll be notified as soon as they're up. Share your thoughts and opinions on social media using hashtag Elder Wisdom to help everyone find us on this green bench. Just take a moment to rate and review the Elder Wisdom podcast. And if it's easier, go to elderwisdom.ca to find the link. And please, while you're there, fill out the Elder Wisdom pledge. In our next episode, we laugh harder than we have in a very long time with a couple who've been together for over six decades, Patricia and Dennis Bailey. They are amazing, and I'm telling you, you will be so glad you joined us. On behalf of Lloyd Hetherington, I'm Erin Davis, and your spot on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.